Welcome to the July 6th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Job 32 and 33 and Acts chapter 14. But we'll only focus on the New Testament in this podcast. If you have any questions about anything in the Old Testament or New Testament reading, please email me at mattellis1997 at gmail.com. I may answer it on the next podcast. Acts chapter 14. In in verse 1, it says, In Iconium they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So as Paul and Barnabas continued to make a counterclockwise trip, Acts chapter 14, verse 1 says this, In Iconium they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So, as Paul and Barnabas continued to make a clockwise trip through southern Asia, uh, which is present-day Turkey, they came to a city called Iconium. Uh, They boldly proclaimed the gospel, and many Jews and Greeks, that is, Gentiles, believed. So, Jews and Gentiles are being saved, and God was greatly blessing their efforts. However, a point I've made on a previous podcast is that whenever God is moving, be forewarned that an enemy attack might be around the corner. We don't want to be pessimists or glass-half-empty folks, but it generally works that way. Um, So what happened when Paul and Barnabas uh, saw many souls being saved due to their gospel proclamations is that the pendulum swung the other way. Listen to verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So we're reminded that um, the gospel doesn't always unite. Sometimes the gospel divides. It places a wedge between those who love the Lord and those who don't. And honestly, this reminds us of some words that Jesus once told us. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Jesus said, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So what does that? It's the gospel. So were those men who showed up to cause trouble able to stop Paul and Barnabas? Did they scare God's messengers into leaving? Listen to verses 3 and 4. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. So Paul and Barnabas stayed and continued to preach the gospel in a hospital environment. And it says they stayed there a long time. They weren't going to run for fear. But then it did get out of hand. The animosity grew from trying to undermine the messenger to trying to kill the messenger. Okay, that's a different matter. It's not like you run in fear, but uh, 
You know, we, if, if, uh, you know, if a truck is, if we're standing in the middle of the road and a truck is coming our way, it's not fear that causes us to step out of the road. It's common sense, right? And so it was time for them to move on. And so Acts chapter 14, verses five through seven says this, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them. And what it means by stone them is kill them by throwing stones at them. They found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. And there they continued preaching the gospel. So the disciples fled to a neighboring city to the south. And in Lystra, we're told, Paul healed a man. So the pendulum is swinging back in the favorable uh, activities. Things are going well. Listen to verses 8 through 10. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, and he had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened to, as Paul spoke, and after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, "'Stand up on your feet.'" And he jumped up and began to walk around. And so what we see is, uh, you know, a crowd that's just excited. You could imagine how the crowd uh, might have responded when they saw the supernatural healing of the man who was born lame. They were beside themselves with excitement and interpreted the events based on their worldview. What was their worldview? Well, it was a pagan worldview, one in which they worshipped deities, gods, and they worshipped the Greek gods. So they assumed that, that two of the gods had come down to them. And once again, we see God moving powerfully, and then things turned south quickly. The pendulum, once again, is swinging in the other way. Things were going well. Now things are going to go bad again. Listen to verses 11 through 13. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Well, let me stop right there for a moment. There are some in Christian ministry that may not have minded so much being called that. It seems as if there are some in Christian ministry that love to be revered and respected and adored and looked up to and uh, experience all of the privileges and benefits. But uh, I'm telling you, whenever this was said, we see a true, true men of God. We see how they responded. Listen once again. They cried out in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls uh, and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifices. Paul and Barnabas had shown up to share the gospel. They came to point people to Jesus, but the focus was taking off of their message because the crowds prepared to sacrifice to them. Listen to verse 14. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting. So this was sacrilege. They were not going to be treated this way. This was taking away from the glory of the Lord that they were proclaiming. And so Paul and Barnabas couldn't allow for this to occur. So they responded passionately, not whimsically, not 
lightly afraid of hurting someone's feelings. They responded passionately. They didn't just quietly tell the people not to sacrifice to them. They ripped their clothes to show their inner turmoil, and then they raced. They ran into the crowd, and they didn't just talk. They yelled their response so that everyone could hear. Listen to what they said in verses 15 through 17. They said, people, why are you doing these things? We're people also, just like you, and we're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. So Paul's message was that God had previously let nations follow after other gods, but he has always had a witness. There has always been someone or something pointing the way to the Lord. Paul pointed to nature. He said rain and fruitful seasons. And he pointed to the capacity for joy as witnesses to a gracious God who loves his creation and desires for them to know him. When Paul spoke about the witnesses that God has provided, it seems that he was referring to what he would mention later in his letter to the Christians in Rome. And I want to read this to you, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Here he tells the saints in Rome that God has given witnesses to point to him. Listen to Romans 1, 18 through 23. Paul said, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They push the truth down, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. Here it is. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Paul is saying that creation is a witness that demonstrates that there is a God. He said, as a result, people are without excuse, for though they knew God, Because why? Why did they know God? Because they saw creation. They saw evidence of a creator that had made all of this and created the design and the beauty and everything else that instead, instead of them acknowledging God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So this is what Paul is dealing with in this city that he's in. They're worshiping gods, and they're claiming that Paul and Barnabas are gods, and Paul is saying divine revelation points to a one true God that is not a, a dead God like you all serve. Now, one of the things we need to make clear is the gospel You know, how Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and how everyone who trusts in him is forgiven and made righteous. The gospel cannot be known by looking at the created order. 
the witness that points to the fact that there is a God, it does not tell us the gospel. You cannot look at the skies or look at the the trees and the grass and the flowers. You can't look at that and get the gospel. But the created order does tell us certain things about God. It just tells us that there's a God that exists, and it tells us that there are certain things about him that we can know. For instance, nature tells us that there's an infinitely powerful God who is good. So he's powerful because look at all that he created. And he's also good because nature is good. He's also creative because we see that in nature. And he's also benevolent. He's kind and gracious. And many other things we can learn about God. It does not tell us the gospel. It does tell us that there is a God And it does let us know a few things about God. That's the witness that Paul is referring to, talking about uh, to these people. And to reject that there is a God is to deny what our eyes see and our minds comprehend. That is the testimony that God has given to us. So Paul and Barnabas are saying that they are not gods, but there is a God in heaven who wants everyone to know him and enjoy him. This mob who wanted a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas have seen evidence of this God in the natural order around them. Verse 18, even though they said these things, even though Paul and Barnabas said these things, they barely stopped the crowd from sacrificing to them. So now the pendulum swings back. Paul and Barnabas have gained control of the crowd and were once again prepared to share the gospel message and reap a harvest of souls if God so willed. But the pendulum would swing again quickly. Some of the people that caused so much trouble for Paul and Barnabas in previous cities arrived in Lystra. They saw Paul and Barnabas and were going to do whatever they could to shut them up. Listen to verse 19. But some Jews uh, came from Antioch and Iconium, right? Those are cities that Paul and Barnabas had already been in. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. So try to imagine this scene. To the horror of Barnabas and his companions, he watched helplessly as the mob threw rocks at Paul to shut him up, to shut the gospel. The same group, many of the same group, it's quite possible many of the same group that said that Paul and Barnabas were gods are now stoning them. This is another lesson I've learned in leadership. It's not just pastoral leadership, but it certainly applies to pastoral leadership. That whenever you are being highly praised by someone, do not take it to heart because the very people that highly praise you could very quickly lose uh, their respect for you because you didn't measure up to something. You were not there when they thought they needed you or any number of other things. And those people will be the people to stone you. Once again, we're not pessimists. I'm just pointing out this is the way leadership works. You need to be someone who is strong in your relationship with the Lord and strong in who you are and who the Lord says you are. Because if you're depending on people for your value, you're going to be up and down, back and forth. And so these same people who said that God, that Paul Paul and Barnabas were gods, are now throwing rocks at Paul. So again, imagine the horror of Barnabas and his companions as he watched helplessly as the mob threw rocks at Paul. The sizable rocks that hit his chest and back landed with an audible thud. 
the rocks that hit his head and face would have sounded a bit louder because they were hitting bone. When it was all said and done, Paul would have been lying lifeless on the ground. The mob left with a sense of satisfaction as Paul's companions helplessly surrounded him. His body would have been covered with blood. There would have been cuts, some probably deep. If his mouth was open, you may have been able to notice that he had teeth missing. There would have been visible knots on his head, some very large. His face may have even been unrecognizable. But a believer cannot die, no matter what others do to him or her, until it is God's time for them to inherit their eternal reward. It was obviously not Paul's time to die. Listen to verse 20. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day he's left with Barnabas for Derby. The next day. He didn't leave right then. He went into the town. He stayed overnight. He waited until the next day. I'm telling you, Paul was fearless. Instead of fleeing the town when he came to his senses, he got up and went into the town, stayed the night, and left the next day. I can only imagine that he wanted the people to realize they weren't messing with wimps. Instead, they were messing with people serious about following the Lord and willing to give their lives so that others might know the gospel message. Well, then they traveled about 60 miles due east and arrived at the city of Derby. It's noteworthy that Derby was only about a hundred miles from Tarsus, Paul's hometown. We wouldn't have blamed Paul if he had just headed home. His first missionary trip had been productive. He'd stood courageously and even took a beating to share the gospel. It would have been okay for him to head home, but he didn't. Listen to verses 21 and 22. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Those names sound familiar? It's because they're going back through the towns that they had gone through before. And what were they doing? They were strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them. What were they telling them? It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So while they were in Derby, they preached the gospel and made many disciples. They didn't just get people saved. They were making Jesus followers. Then they turned around and went back to the cities that had persecuted them. They were bold and fearless as they relied upon the Lord for their strength and for their courage. They encouraged the, Jew, uh, the Jesus followers in those cities to continue to follow the Lord. They also told them that persecution was part of following Jesus. If they wanted Jesus, they were going to experience some really hard, painful times. But I imagine that Paul was continuing to wear the marks on his body that testified to the fact that he had been able to stand firm in times of persecution as he relied upon the Lord. Paul's appearance may have sobered them, but let them know that Paul's words had credibility. He wasn't calling them to do anything he had not personally experienced. 
We're also told in these verses that Paul and Barnabas went back to the cities that had persecuted them. I mentioned that just a few moments ago. They wanted to show the followers of Jesus in those cities that bold, what bold Christianity looks like. They set an example and almost certainly emboldened the Christians in those cities to live for Jesus. One activity that Paul and Barnabas and their companions did as they went into each city was to assign the elders or pastors also. They're called pastors of the churches. Um, Christianity was never intended to be lived alone. It was always intended to be lived in community in churches. And churches needed elders who were also called pastors. Listen to verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Well, once again, we see elders is written in plural, not singular. Paul and his group did not assign one elder or one pastor for each church. Instead, they appointed elders for them in every church. This biblical model of church governance gave the church the benefit of shared leadership and shared wisdom and many other benefits. One other thing we notice is that those elders were not chosen whimsically. Instead, the selection of elders was accompanied by prayer and fasting. Those Christian leaders sought the Lord's guidance in who would serve as elders in, the, in each church. They were resting in the Lord and seeking the Lord's wisdom in this. And eventually, they made their way back to the port city of Italia on the Mediterranean Sea. Listen to verses 24 and 25. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. So once they arrived in Italia, they boarded a ship, headed south, and then headed due east to return to Antioch. Well, this chapter ends with Paul and Barnabas' report to their sending church. Verses 26 through 28 say, From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. I suspect that... Uh, some of the folks in that congregation would have assumed that it was too dangerous to do mission work like this again. However, Paul and Barnabas' passion for Jesus and the gospel made it clear that mission work was well worth the danger they faced. Maybe they didn't realize it yet, but Paul and Barnabas would eventually go on three more missionary journeys, two of which are recorded in the book of Acts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are reminded in the book of Acts that following you isn't always safe. In fact, it may be that there will be difficulties that come our way because we are following you. But knowing and enjoying you is worth whatever inconvenience comes our way. Enable us, Holy Spirit, to stand strong until that day when we arrive in our heavenly home, never to suffer again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If looking over the script for this podcast would be beneficial to you, hop on over to my website at mattsmusings.net. I'll provide a link in this episode's show notes to my website. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.